welcome to the Thought Feeder Podcast with your hosts, Joel Goodman and John Steven Stansel. This episode, we're fortunate to be joined by our good friend, Liz Gross, the CEO of Campus Sonar. Since March 11th, 2020, Campus Sonar has been releasing coronavirus higher education industry briefings that analyze social conversations around higher education. Today, she's gonna dive in with us and tell us a little bit about what they have been seeing through their research. Thanks for taking some time out to, to talk a little bit about social listening and how it pertains to COVID. So first, do you think you could give us an overview of social listening and how it's pertaining to COVID-19 and uh, higher ed? Absolutely. So overview of social listening, you think of everything that's happening on the internet, which is literally uh, millions and millions and millions of posts every single day across uh, networks as large as Twitter and Reddit and things as small as a teenager's Tumblr or a random blog or a super niche forum. Social listening takes all of that as a data source and it captures exactly what you want to look at to understand the conversation. And then using various rules and categories and metadata, you can get some interesting insights, basically using all of this online conversation as a focus group or a research data set. So how it pertains to COVID-19, the latest data I've been seeing is that there is about 20 million online conversations about the coronavirus every single day. Uh, and those are the publicly available searchable ones. And I knew that there was some subset of it that was related to higher education. And the more we thought about it at Campus Sonar, particularly our research manager, Amber, the more we figured that if we could find and analyze that conversation, we would be able to provide some sort of numbers and metrics and um, qualitative insight to higher ed that they wouldn't otherwise have because otherwise all you're getting is an endless stream of one-to-one communication and numbers about tests and cases and not a lot of things about a real live experience. So that's what we're trying to do with social listening for COVID-19. Super interesting. Giant discourse analysis study with thousands and thousands and millions of data points. Crazy. Yes, which is changing constantly because the way people talk about it is changing every single day. Well, and so, you know, we, we know what a lot of the, you know, kind of common social media uh, channels that, that a lot of uh, people that are old like us tend to frequent. Uh, but one of the more surprising things uh, in the briefings that Campus Center has been putting out is the amount of conversation that's been coming through on, I guess, what we would kind of consider more fringe networks uh, like Reddit, which, I mean, it's stupid to call Reddit a fringe network because it has a massive, massive user base. Um, but we were also, JS and I both were just kind of surprised by how much data is uh, coming out of Tumblr what at one point would have, even a year ago, would have been considered kind of a defunct uh, social network or uh, you know, publishing platform. Um, are we seeing like some kind of a resurgence in Tumblr? Are we seeing uh, you know, just kind of a, like niche groups that are being more vocal? What's, what's that kind of looking like? Why is, why is Tumblr playing a role in all of this? Yeah, so as of the first briefing and continuing on to today, a large percentage of student conversation is happening on Tumblr and somewhere between five and 10% of the overall conversation about higher ed and COVID-19 is happening on Tumblr. And today it was one third, we looked at four days worth of data today. So from March 20th through 23rd, it was about 
a third Tumblr, a third Reddit, a third social media. So it's it's pretty evenly split apart. Yeah, that's um, huge. That's a that's a big piece of the pie. Yeah. So I don't actually know if we're seeing a resurgence in Tumblr or if a lot of the software that campuses were using was just not collecting that data from any of mm. its queries. And since campuses haven't been maintaining a presence on Tumblr, it's not like they're getting tagged in something sure. that they would notice. Yeah. At Campus Sonar, our data collection changed drastically at the end of 2019 when we upgraded the social listening software that we use. And instantly through all data sets for all of our clients, we saw an increase in Tumblr data. Mm. So I suspect it has been there and we just haven't noticed it and haven't been paying attention to it. Sure. We would love to do a deeper dive at some point, but just from the the mentions I've been going through in the last two weeks when I've been looking at briefings, it does seem to be some sort of a niche community. I see a lot of folks who identify as LGBTQ+. I see lots of artists. I see people who are really into very specific fandoms or cosplay. And it's not all super young people. I've definitely seen people who are out of college and are mm. using Tumblr in their mid-20s. So it's, it's definitely a source that we're seeing. But I also want to mention the ones we're not talking about where I know there is conversation. Like the briefings don't talk about Facebook. They don't talk about Instagram. They don't talk about TikTok. I know there's conversation on all of those things, but they require access that you can't have at like a massive industry level. Right. Yeah. And that's one thing I really appreciate in the briefings. And I've seen in just about every single one, it says, you know, talk to your social media manager for more information on these these networks because they will kind of know and be able to tap into that a little bit more. Uh, and I think that's really important to, to, to remember is, hey, leadership, be sure and check on your social media manager, ask them what they're seeing and, and, and what suggestions and thoughts they have there too. I've started copying and pasting the same sentence. <laughs> it needs to be done. <laughs> repetition, gotta do repetition. So, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you know, it's not just students who are driving this discussion on social media. There's a uh, parents and families are a big part of it as well. So what are some of the conversations you're seeing there? And, and, and also, you know, where where are you seeing those conversations? Right. So my favorite part of the briefing, which is also the most emotionally draining, is when we dive into particular audiences. So we look at all of the conversation that mentions higher ed. Then we look at the conversation that is focused on higher ed. And then we try to find people who are talking in the first person about their experience as a student or a parent or a family member or an alum or a prospective student, admitted, etc. cetera, um, because those voices are really hard to miss in the big 100,000 mention numbers. Um, so we're getting better and better at finding those mentions every single briefing that is based on our ability to segment and identify those conversations. And right now, um, students are usually about 75 to 85% of the mentions that we can identify an audience for. And then parents are most of what's left. We'll get a smattering of alumni, a smattering of admits and perspectives um, but we see about 10 to 15% of our identified like audience constituent conversation coming from parents. The parents are almost always on Twitter. Um, that seems to be a really comfortable place for them to talk. Remember, we can't look at Facebook, so <laughs> who knows what they're saying there. Um, we see a little bit of Reddit or like another niche forum, but mostly on Twitter. And what was interesting is that since we started looking at this conversation, students have been angry first mm. and then sad. Those were the two predominant emotions. 
um, parents have been sad first and then angry. And a lot of the sadness is grief on what their students are missing out on or how they won't be able to go to graduation or celebrate their student. In the briefing we just released, um, which looked at, again, the 20th through the 23rd of March, we actually saw about a third of parent conversation representing joy. Hmm. And I was really confused, Uh, jumped in and looked at that. And it was one, the briefing covered a weekend. So people were actually celebrating the time they got to spend with their families. Sometimes the first time they've been outside in a few days. And then they would mention, you know, even though my daughter's home from college or whatever that might mean. Um, They also, some of them were really, really proud of what their their students were doing uh, to contribute to the response to the pandemic, particularly those who were in medical fields or working at university health facilities. Um, we also saw people that were just like happy to have students home or to have made the trip home safely after getting them back from campus. Um, the students, or the, so those parents are mostly on Twitter and their emotions are um, changing. A couple of, or about a week ago, they were very much just like devastated that their students wouldn't have graduations or they wouldn't have their senior year experience. And they're definitely expressing a different variety of emotions now than students are. They are still sad and angry, very angry. Interesting. What do you think the, the importance is for, uh, for our industry, for, for marketers at universities, even just for administration in, uh, looking at the kind of empathy side of all of this and, uh, like how, how can that be used to, to better responses to, you know, huge, huge crises like this, or even, you know, just smaller things. So what, what could higher ed be doing better by paying attention to the the empathy side of things? So one, I think it's important to just understand like how students are processing and, and the types of communication they and their family are using to talk about these things. Um, I think it was two briefings ago, the vast majority of student conversation was memes. Hmm. It's like that was the only thing they could come up with. So you're stressed out and afraid. And so you got to find some release and hopefully it's through something funny or sarcastic. And right. What, 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 what sort of memes particularly? Is there anything that you saw recurring or? Uh, there were a lot of a lot of memes right when the online class announcements started to come out about like, you know, I'm going to the University of Phoenix right now <laughs> or like all these other campuses must feel like they've been or University of Phoenix must feel like these other campuses have ripped them off. <laughs> um, we, we linked to a bunch of funny ones in uh, I think it probably would have been the March 17th briefing uh the subtitle of it is is memes so in that way like i recently was at a conference the last conference i traveled to (laughs) where uh the president of the louisiana state system made he made this statement when he was talking about public perception of higher ed and social media he was like facts don't change people's minds memes do yeah (laughs) and that was a a system president and he was on to something um so just understanding like i don't i don't still don't think it's the time for a campus account to be pushing out memes related to the coronavirus but understanding like it, it actually could be appropriate potentially in a small conversation with a faculty member to do some sort of stress release meme or something like that um the other the other use for understanding this audience-based data, I think, is to develop content and programming. Like in today's briefing, there were three or four 
themes of what students were angry about related to online classes. Mm. And I can only provide so much help at an industry level, but if campuses were looking at their own data, you could see like, wow, maybe there were six faculty members that hadn't communicated with students yet about what we were going to do to bring class online. And we can use that intelligence to get in touch with those folks. Or I know some campuses have been helping with supplying technology, but there's a lot of students that are angry that they don't have the right tech to access synchronous online learning. Yeah. So just getting an idea of what people's thoughts, feelings, questions, um, hesitations are can help not just with communication, but also with, with programming. Another perfect example, and that'll be the last one I'll give for this one. Um, one of the viral Tumblr posts from a couple of briefings ago was misinformation for international students and their visa status and what would happen now that classes were moving online. Oh, no. It was very wrong. It later got updated, but it was the wrong version that was shared <laughs> all the time. Mm. So if you catch misinformation like that spreading within your community, you can stop it and be aware of it more quickly than you might if you're not looking at social listening data. That makes sense. So we're we're kind of two weeks into the briefing schedule, and so Campus Center has been putting out these briefings twice a week, and they started March 11th, two weeks into briefings and COVID-19 chaos and everyone's lives being, you know, thrown into a blender. And uh, how have how have you and your team seen the these conversations evolve on social media since uh, you started really digging into the conversations around it in higher ed and uh, you know, I'm interested in what, you know, what you think higher ed should start preparing to address. Like what, what can we kind of triage or what can we, what can we look forward to and anticipate so that we aren't, uh, so we can start to get out of this reactionary phase, because I think that's going to be super important to our industry when we don't have to react to everything all the time and can actually start, you know, planning, planning our responses. What, what, what have you been seeing and, and what do you think is the, the way to be thinking on this. Right. So the first two briefings were very much just like stating the facts and like shock and awe of my campuses moving. I've been asked to move like what is going on? I don't know. So that that was to be expected and we expected there to be a huge spike and there was and now things are settling like this is this is the second Tuesday briefing we've done where we've seen like the solid increase during the week and decrease during the weekend. So although there's more conversation, we are starting to see the normal patterns of how people talk about things online. So mm. that, that settled in pretty quickly. It only took about a week for that to happen. Yeah. But what's changing now is like we're starting to see student experience in real time. One thing that I was concerned about after the last briefing that came through and the one we just put out on the 24th is that um, like I feel like in my conversations with campus professionals that um, – we've kind of accepted the whole online class thing as a reality and it's happening and we've dealt with it and we're ready to move on. Yeah. But students just started it for the most part this week and some of them aren't starting it until next week. Yeah. So getting, getting an idea of understanding how people are actually experiencing something that will take them a couple days to get into realizing that their experience is occurring after we all processed the announcements. That'll be important. Um, 
And then kind of looking forward, what, what can we do to get ready for different things? Um, just today in, in the 24th, March 24th briefing, we started to see news coverage shifting. So hmm. um, just like individuals, news coverage was about campus operations. It was like, it's closing, it's moving online, students are kicked out, whatever that means. Um, in this last briefing, news coverage dropped a ton because there's other COVID-related news to talk about. Right. But what there was about higher ed was focused more on the contributions of campus experts and whether that was, you know, who you would expect from a public health field or if it was economics or if it was mental health while you're stuck in your house for a month. Mm. There were some really interesting conversation there, but that was the time that was literally 1% of the higher ed focused mm. online mentions was news. Yeah. So as we move through this, if campuses are only monitoring traditional news media, they're missing the vast majority of everything that is being said about them, about the industry, about the experience of their students and community. So if campuses were not yet on board of paying attention to social media as something that matters, I think this will be the time for them to do that if they care about the experience and uh, well-being of their campus constituents, and that includes staff and faculty. Yeah. So that kind of leads into the staff and faculty. Uh, this is going to take a while. I don't know about you all, but my state just issued their stay-at-home order, and it's 30 days to yeah, start. Yeah, Austin, Austin announced today, and we've been waiting for our governor to see if he will. He usually follows what our mayor does, so we're still waiting to see if the governor will actually do a, a shelter in place for the rest of the state or not. He's been pretty hesitant to do it, but yeah, that just happened today, and it's going through April thirteenth at the at the soonest is when that will be lifted. Still waiting in Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> so Wisconsin is just like screw it, we're home for a month. That's what's happening, yeah. um, and. That, I mean, that is indicative of the long haul that we're going to be in for this heightened level of interrupted operations, struggling mental health. And I think that, I mean, hopefully social media managers are thinking about this, but their bosses have to be thinking about the fact that there has to be a backup plan either for sheer exhaustion, which is about yeah. to happen, or illness, which is apparently going to happen to 40 to 80% of us. Mm -hmm. So those backup plans have to be in place. And I know there are campuses where there's literally nobody else who could adequately represent the campus on social media than who is doing it now. So we have to look forward to that and plan operationally. I also think that campuses have to prioritize um, what they're most interested in, in terms of listening and engagement, because the volume will be heightened for a long time. We don't know what else is going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can't catch it all particularly if you're not sitting here with all the fancy tools that I am at Campus Sonar. So if if social media managers, communications pros, and leadership can agree on like, what do we pay attention to? What do we care about? And what will folks be held accountable for? That can like bring you through this, this longer term heightened crisis situation. Because otherwise, I mean, I know folks who just aren't sleeping and they're trying to catch it all. And that's not doable. I mean, this might also be a really good point to plug Campus Sonar services because they can help your institution. Liz isn't going to self-promote much, but I will, I will promote for her because, uh, that, I mean, that's, that's a huge, that's a huge gap that a lot of, that a lot of universities and colleges have. Um, they don't have the staffing to pay attention to everything or even to 
begin to know how to prioritize what channels they should be listening to. So uh, definitely go to campussonar.com and look at their services and have a conversation with, uh, with, with anyone that will talk to you there and see how they can help, uh, help you survive this giant sea change in what we're, what we're having to face in higher education. Cause it's, it's, it's big. And, uh, JS and I were talking about this earlier. We're, we're, we're kind of in that point in our industry where, you know, everyone's still, or a lot of people are still a little, overwhelmed with what's going on and don't necessarily feel they have the emotional or mental space to think about what the next steps are. Uh, but it is very, very important to think about what you're going to do because this this has changed a lot of things. Uh, and normal normal will not be what it was before. It, it might be something like it, but it's not going to be exactly the same ever. And I think... So you're right, I'm not a self-promoter, but I'm happy to say what people have done well based on what we've helped them with. Awesome. So, you know, we, one of the services we offer is like a week by week crisis and event monitoring service for folks who are just like, help me deal with this shit now. (laughs) And then we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, And we had a campus that asked us, um, it was right after the first briefing. So it was probably like March 12th, um, asked us to help monitor their closing announcement. Um, soon it'll be a pass fail announcement. And one of the things we're able to do in that situation is like build in this categorization. So what surprised me was for the first 14 day period where we looked at their conversation, it was something like 36% or something of their campus conversation was related to the coronavirus. Like one, wow. one would assume it's 80 or 90%. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we we were live monitoring. We weren't sampling the conversation. We had everything. And then we could see like what were the trending topics related to their announcements? Was there any misinformation? And that was information that went to the board of trustees to be like, mm. it is an issue and we are handling it. But it is not the only issue. Yeah. So it can be helpful to kind of get that step back, particularly if you're an institution where there's just a ton of data and help do some of this automatic categorization or start building in alerts where, you know, if someone talks about mental health or online classes or whatever. We want to know about that right away. And then everything else we can deal with yeah. later. Yeah. That can be helpful. I think that like the, the last thing I was thinking about in terms of what we need to consider long term is really juggling the ability to focus on how campuses can contribute positively because there are going to be a lot of those stories and hopefully we do get to tell some of those stories either through the media or through campus accounts um, with the need to respond to conversation topics that are going to get more and more challenging as we progress through the pandemic. So campuses are already dealing with talking about positive tests that have occurred in their faculty, their leadership or or their student body. Um, Some campuses are becoming testing centers. That was one of the trending higher ed focused conversations for the whole industry in our last briefing was Vanderbilt turning their uh, parking garage into a COVID-19 assessment center. And people were taking pictures of the parking garage and spreading misinformation about what it was supposed to be. Um, But then they had to make a statement of what it actually was. And then as that moves on, I mean, 
campus facilities will end up being auxiliary hospitals or quarantine facilities or whatever that might be. The term field hospital came up in our briefing for the first time (laughs) (laughs) this last week. So this is going to get harder and harder and harder. So we have to prepare ourselves for it. Social media managers can't be doing it alone when they're in this conversation. But I think we also have to take time to like look for the good stories and the expertise that faculty can can contribute and balance that a little bit or all of us are just not going to be feeling great about our jobs <laughs> at any point in time in the future if we can't find yeah, that balance. Definitely. Yeah, and yeah, I'd like to kind of second um, Joel's touting of campus sonar services and we'll say one thing here as you know, I've been running social media in higher ed full time and for five years now and, and part time for longer than that. And I always considered myself a social listening expert until I really started sat down and started talking to Liz and, and reading or read the uh, read the social listening handbook and realized, oh, man, I, these guys take it to a completely different level. And not only that, I think. If you're doing this alone, having a second set of eyes to come in and take a look at what you're doing, uh, give you a fresh perspective and, and kind of lighten the load is just so valuable. So that said, uh, I've got my, my, my campus sonar standing out of there. Um, <laughs> so what actionable insights do you think universities can take from the, the information and the briefings? So we talked about a few of them when we were talking specifically about audiences. Um, of course, we're hoping there's a lot more. There definitely could be information related to a media relations strategy if any campus still has time or energy for a proactive (laughs) media relations strategy. Um, Over time, we're going to be able to dive more into what topics are being covered, how how is uh, campus being um, campus is being shown, you know, positive, negative, whatever light that might be. Um, So I hope that there's there's something there. Um, definitely understanding more about the student experience, uh, information, misinformation, questions, problems, pain points, that should be able to inform actions both, I was going to say online and offline, but almost everything's online these days. So (laughs) mostly online actions. Um, one of the things that I've really started to hammer home in the recommendations of the briefings is the need for appropriate social media staffing based on conversation trends. So I am hoping that these briefings are getting in the hands of folks who are not familiar with social media and are getting some more information than they otherwise would have had. And so far, our web analytics tell us that that is happening. So uh, that is good. (laughs) Um, I, I also think that, you know, this can... The briefing should allow communicators to step outside of their individual campus experience, what's been happening to them in their communities, and see how it's comparing to the industry so they get a better idea of, is this normal or do we really have like a unique crisis on our hands? One one thing I want to mention, you know, talking about getting it into the hands of of university leaders that is, I think is a really nice touch on, on these briefings is that they all include a slide deck with key points. So awesome. you know, if you don't have a whole lot of time or, or you don't think you, you know, your supervisors or campus leadership will sit down and, 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 and read one of these, which they should, because honestly, I'll, I'll say this, if it were any other situation reading over these, like, I feel like I should be sitting in a leather armchair with with a glass of wine and chocolate they're so they're, they're not the information is amazing but they're also so well written and as a, as a social media data nerd <laughs> i just want to, to devour them the, the, the second they come out but also 
the information is just incredibly valuable. So uh, if you're, you don't think you can get your campus leadership to, to sit down and actually read it, you, there's a, a slide deck, you can give them the key points, you can sit there and hold their hand and, and, and show them this information. So it's, it's really well done. So kudos on that. Thanks. And if, and if folks aren't clear, like you can get the slide deck, you can get the blog post without giving me your email address. And that's a very nice <laughs> thing because <laughs> no one likes to give up their information for important data. But at the same time, <laughs> give the gig. You give, can give me your email address if you give want. Give Campus Sonar you your email to. address and talk to them because you most likely need their services. Uh, I want to sneak in one more answer to the actionable insights question. Yeah. And that is more like long term impact on strategy. I'm really hoping that the briefings are going to help folks understand how valuable social listening can be at scale, where it really is social listening from a large volume of conversations, rather than just social media monitoring, where you're finding something to respond to. So the briefing really takes a research mindset, and we're trying to understand audiences and constituencies and overall industry trends. Mm. And that is something that I think will could and should, which is why I founded the freaking company, should <laughs> should carry on beyond the COVID-19 pandemic. It is, it is something that can provide valuable, timely insight to folks, uh, whether they're doing it on their own or with our help. It's really hoping us see social media as the data source it could be to help us respond and gain the trust of our yeah, audiences. Definitely. I totally agree. And I think that's a good note to wrap it up on and, and thinking of, of post COVID-19 days. Uh, so once again, Liz, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. If you're not already, go go follow Liz on social media. You're uh, at LizGross144. 144 is a dozen dozen, which is a gross. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And go out and follow at Campus Sonar. Uh, sign, up, sign up for their emails. Sign up for their briefings. They're well worth it. You want to get these in your inbox. Take it from them, not me. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Liz. Thank you so much for listening. The Thought Feeder Podcast is hosted by Joel Goodman and John Steven Stancil and edited by Joel Goodman. Special thanks to our guest, Liz Gross. Be sure to visit campussonar.com to learn more about their social listening services. And be sure to subscribe to Thought Feeder wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting thoughtfeeder.com. Thought Feeder is sponsored by University Insight.